Thank you for joining us for the Midweek Bible Study with Dr. David Wilson. Now let's join Dr. Wilson for a more in-depth study of the Word of God. Second, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to begin reading in verse 1, but I'm going to pick up on verse 5. Paul is writing to them, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So, affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Funny things happen in the ministry. Some of you have been in the ministry. Uh, You have a ministry. I can assure you that books could be written of some of the funny things that have happened. There was one pastor who was known for his singing voice also, and he went, he was asked to sing at a funeral. And he went to visit the new widow about the funeral plans for her recently deceased husband. And he came in looking distraught and his wife asked him what was wrong and he revealed that his, the, the lady had asked him to sing her husband's favorite song, Jingle Bells, at the funeral. And he was was troubled that it wasn't appropriate to sing Jingle Bells at such a solemn occasion. So he struggled and prayed about it, finally decided to honor the grieving widow's wishes. And at the funeral, still sensitive about how some of the mourners might react to hearing Jingle Bells at a funeral, he carefully introduced the song with words about appreciating the sense of humor and lightheartedness of the man who had passed away. Well, his widow had been very tearful during the service, but hearing the introduction to her late husband's favorite song, she sat up and began to appear quite interested. And as the preacher began to sing the song, the widow began to smile and her tears dried up and she was actually giggling as he concluded. And he felt glad that he decided to honor her request since it was obviously had been so comforting to her. 
And after the service, she thanked the pastor for sharing his music ministry and with a big grin on her face, and she said, by the way, the favorite song I requested is when they ring those golden bells. <laughs> ministry can be difficult. <laughs> One young pastor said that during the first five years of his ministry, he had a sign on his desk that read, win the world for Christ. And after five years, he changed the sign. It said, win five for Christ. And after 10 years, he changed the sign again and said, don't lose too many. What does it take to have a ministry that makes a difference? And believe it or not, when you think of the word ministry, many times you think of just a pastor or somebody in full-time Christian vocation, but in reality, all of us have a ministry of some kind. In this particular case, Paul is talking about when he came to, to Thessalonica. I, I told you last time that, that you know, he, he wasn't there long. He only preached three Sabbaths. We don't know if it was three in a row or there was some space between them. But then he got run out of town. He actually left in the middle of the night. And so he's writing back to them. And in the first four verses, he, he reminds them that why he came there was not in vain. It wasn't a mistake that, that they were a result of what's going on. And then he begins to talk about why they came and the, the emphasis of the reason that they came. And so I, I've entitled this Real Ministry 101. If you're going to be in the ministry of any kind, then some of these qualities need to be in your life. And, and I want you to notice with them. In verses 5 and 6, I, I, I think you see commendable character. Paul's character made a big difference in his ministry. It's amazing today how many people in the ministry, so to speak, don't have commendable character. They might be a good speaker, they might be a good organizer, they might be a good fundraiser, but their character is lacking. There's a couple of things that you can bring out. First of all, his honesty. He says, I didn't come trying to flatter you, in verse 5. Flattery is, 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 is using words that sound nice to get you something from somebody. It's not honest. You, you want some kind of personal gain. You want uh, admiration or a favor. Paul said, I didn't come that way. I, I didn't come in deceit. I, I was honest with you. But deceit can come in many disguises. There were people in Paul's day who were preaching for financial benefit. That doesn't happen today, does it? They'll, or they'll say attractive words or they'll stir up zeal and they pocket the cash and move on. And Paul denied using those tactics. He said, we didn't come with flattery. We came because of the, that God had entrusted the gospel with us and, and there was honesty behind the ministry. There was no hidden agenda. Some of you probably are not old enough to remember when... Jim and Tammy Faye Baker fell from their TV evangelism empire. And it was all about money. Well, while he was in prison, which he's not there now, but while he was in prison, he, he wrote these words. There is no way if you take the whole counsel of God's word that you can equate riches or material things as a sign of God's blessing. 
And yet today you hear a lot of people talking about, oh, God will bless you if you just send me the money. That's what they're saying on television. So one of the things about his character is his, his honesty. But, but a second characteristic is his humility. Now some of people say, Paul being humble? Yeah, Paul was humble. He was an apostle. And folks, apostles had responsibilities that were given by God to them to, at the beginning of the church they were, the, they were the guys. It was their doctrine. It was them that the church was founded upon through Jesus Christ. Jesus gave them the authority to heal the sick and cast out demons and teach the word of God. You find that in Mark chapter 6, verse 6 through 13. And Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that the church itself was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. They were the stones that Christ used to build and to the foundation for the church. And so when Paul says in verse seven or six, he said, we could have been a burden to you. He meant that quite literally. He said, we could have demanded anything from you we wanted. After all, I'm an apostle. He was an apostle out of due time. There aren't any apostles today in this sense. There are some people who claim to be, but not in the true sense of the New Testament way. He, was the, he could have pulled out his apostle badge and said, here I am, treat me like the, the mighty man that I am, but he didn't act that way. He never abused his authority as an apostle. He always said, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And he knew that God knew his thoughts and knew his intention of the heart, so he was careful to always give God the praise for what was going on. He did not try to take the, the credit. And folks, I want to tell you, anybody that has ministry and they begin to take the credit, they've already forfeited humility. God uses imperfect vessels like you and me, but he does it. I've never changed one person's life. The Holy Spirit has, Jesus has. I can't change anybody's life. I can point them to the one that can, but we can't take the credit for what has happened. God gets the credit for it. Warren Wiersbe said, if you can explain what God is doing in your ministry, then God is not really in it. And you have to give him the credit for it and the, and the glory for it. And Paul is saying, I didn't come flattering you and I didn't come pulling my apostles badge and was not a burden to you. So these people who are claiming that we were run out of town because we were charlatans or dis, dishonest and all, he said, that's not true. We didn't, we didn't flatter you. We told you the truth of the gospel and we came in humility. So the first, the first trait is is to be, there's a conscious concern. I mean, excuse me, there is a, uh, your, your character is commendable. Now, the second thing is a conscious concern. Verse seven says, like a mother caring for her little children. Now, Paul explained the degree of the gentleness toward the Thessalonians. He said, we came like mothers coming to their own children. 
It's a picture here of a, a young mother nursing her newborn. She wraps him or her in her arms. They know the little one cannot eat on his own. They can't find food. They can't survive. They had to be nourished. And somehow we don't usually put the word gentle in the same sentence with Paul. We know we think of Paul as someone who had some great characteristics, but not as gentle. The word here means somebody that, that encompasses a host of other virtues such as acceptance and respect and compassion and tolerance of imperfections and patience and tenderheartedness and loyalty. Paul said, we came to you because we were concerned about you and about your soul and we loved you like a mother loves her little children. That's what real ministry is. There's no hidden agenda behind it. There are a lot of preachers today that try to exploit people for their money and for their possessions. Unlike that, Paul said, we didn't come that way. Now, leaders in the world, leadership in the world, I'm speaking in generalities, it's just the opposite of that. They're going to see what they can get out of you. You're working for me. I'm going to get everything I can out of you. But the word here, he said, we cherished. In fact, if you'll look at it, um, it's in verse 7. As a mother cherishes her own children, tenderly cares, literally means to warm with body heat. You know, moms will hold those babies to warm them. It's a lovely image. It goes against the grain of what we think of Apostle Paul, who was zealous and determined and impassioned, but gentle. But yet he was. He said, we came to you that way. Gentleness is not a quality that's respected today. We, we kind of have this attitude. We tend to value the tough and the strong and the assertive, but none of us like to be bullied. We'd rather be loved into the kingdom. I don't know who wrote this, but it, it helps to me to remember this every now and then, especially when we're out dealing with people. You ever get frustrated with people? It's really a prayer. It says, Heavenly Father, help us remember that the jerk who cut us off in traffic last night is a single mother who worked nine hours that day and was rushing home to cook dinner to help her do homework, to do the laundry, and spend a few precious moments with her children. Help us to remember that the pierced, tattooed, disinterested young man who can't make change correctly is a worried 19-year-old college student Balancing his apprehension over final exams with his fear of not getting his student loans for next semester. Remind us, O oh Lord, that the scary-looking bum begging for money in the same spot every day who really ought to get a job is a slave to addictions that we can only imagine in our worst nightmares. Help us to remember that the old couple walking annoyingly slow through the store aisles and blocking our shopping progress or savoring the moment knowing that based on the biopsy report she got last week, this will be the last year they shop together. Heavenly Father, remind us that each day that all the gifts you give us, the greatest gift is love. It's not enough to share that love with those we hold dear. Open our hearts not to just those who are close to us, but to all 
humanity. Let us be slow to judge and quick to forgive. Bless us with patience, empathy, and love. Amen. That's, that's the kind of people we're supposed to be. I don't pass that all the time. But he said, we came because we had a concern about you. There's another characteristic. It's, it's consistent caring. You heard the statement, people don't care about how much you know until you, they know how much you care. People listen to our message when they know that we actually care about them. You notice several things. You'll notice his selflessness in verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Now, that phrase, the gospel of God, that encompasses a lot of doctrine. Those, those big Asian words that we use, justification and sanctification and glorification, that's all part of the gospel of God. Of course, justification refers to when person repents and embraces Jesus Christ death and resurrection, and they are washed clean by the blood of Christ, by his death on the cross. We are justified in the eyes of God. It's a legal term. Sanctification means that they're growing and being obedient to Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit. And glorifications, we're waiting for Jesus to come back. We're going to be glorified with him. We'll be glorified, not in the same way, but we're going to get a glorified body. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for God to hit the reset button. Come on, Jesus, let's go. But besides imparting the gospel, I want you to notice in verse 8, it says, we were, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Hmm. That phrase, our own lives, basically means to impart to you our own lives. They gave up their souls. Now, soul, we think of the spirit, soul, and body, our mind, emotions, and will. They imparted to them. We gave our lives to you in the past, and we keep on giving them to you. That's the way it's written in the imperfect tense. There was nothing superficial about it. They were not partial in their sacrificial service. He ministered to the people the same way with the gospel of Jesus Christ as a sinner who needed to be saved. As babies to a mother, they had become very dear to him. He said, you have become dear to us. Today, we emphasize programs and power and position and prestige People, people today want to have a ministry. They want a title. They want a public recognition. But real ministry works behind the scenes because people are dear. People are worth it. You remember Tony Bennett's song, I Left My Heart in San Francisco? You can almost hear Paul singing, I Left My Heart in Thessalonica. He, he loved those people. Peter Ustinov said, charity is more common than compassion because charity is tax deductible while compassion is time consuming. 
to have a selflessness about the ministry. I want to tell you, if you do the ministry just when it's convenient, you'll never do any because it's never convenient. It never is. It, there's also, it, it costs you something. You want to make a difference. You got to be more than just a teacher or a preacher. You got to lay down your life. You, you give something to others. But there's also not only a selflessness, there's sacrifice. Look at verse nine. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. Are there any moms in here? Let me ask you this. Was there any toil and hardship raising children? <laughs> or was it all convenient? No, as moms never fully relax when your kids are small because you're trying to keep them alive. <laughs> kids come into the world trying to kill themselves. So you're spending all your time <laughs> trying to keep them alive by feeding them and keeping them from jumping off the roof or whatever. But labor and toil appropriately summarize the ministry. Labor emphasizes the difficulty of a particular deed and toil underscores the strenuous struggle, the continuous struggle in performing it. And the two of them together combine this attitude that a mom has toward her children, no matter how difficult, how laborious, how toiling it is, we labored among you. And it says we work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel to you. Y'all know Paul was a tent maker. And wherever he went, he found part-time work making tents, which meant he worked part of the day and preached the rest of the time. Now, Paul was a Pharisee before he became saved, and that tells you he had a high level of education. He wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he makes it clear that it's okay if the living is made as a minister of the gospel. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5, he says, an elder who both rules and teaches is worthy of double honor, which presumes that they will be paid for their work. But he's just saying, I didn't come in demanding anything. I wanted to work so that nobody would ever accuse me of coming into town and saying, I'm just here for the money and then I'm going to leave. So he sacrificed. He did whatever he had to do in order to do the ministry. The fourth thing, there's a Christ-like consistency in verse 10. You are my witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, justly, and blameless we were among you who believed. He pointed to the Thessalonians' firsthand knowledge and God's insight how they had behaved. The word devoutly or just, yeah, devoutly means in a holy manner. It, de it depicts their walk with the Lord. Justly refers to how well they dealt righteously under the law. And blamelessly means that their reputation among the people was good. He actually uses some of that same phrase later when he writes in 1 Timothy 3, 2 to describe the, the life demanded of leaders in a local church. They're supposed to be above reproach. That word literally describes a garment that doesn't have any folds in it. It means there's nothing hidden in the closet. Your, your reputation in the community, your reputation outside the congregation should be blameless. That doesn't mean you're perfect. But there shouldn't be any hidden pockets of sin, any secret sin that somebody else is going to know about. It shouldn't be that way. 
And last of all, there's a continuous commitment in verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Now he goes from an image of a mom to a dad. Dad, Dads are not only examples, but a lot of times dads are the instructors. And so the spiritual father is not just a model, but he's a personal teacher and a motivator. And notice several things that dads do, spiritual fathers can do. First of all, is cheering. He, he says in verse 11, as you know, we exhorted you. We cheered you on. That picture is the idea of a runner. You're in a race, and one of the runners next to you or in front of you stumbles. And instead of running around them and finishing the race, you stop, pick them up, put your arm around them and help them finish, even if it means you lose. That's the picture of cheering, encouraging. It's a heartfelt term. It's not a one-time shot in the arm that makes a person feel better. It's the strong, continuous cheering on, a present tense. We've got to cheer one another on continuously because we get discouraged Cotton Patch Version says Paul was constantly sharing his insights. You may have read the book, The One Minute Manager, which the, the, the writer exhorts bosses to catch their employees doing something right. You know, most of the time we can find fault with everything. It's so easy to find fault, but to cheer somebody on to encourage them. Paul was like a spiritual cheerleader. We exhorted you, you can do this. We encouraged you. It's hard for some people to encourage people. <laughs> I read of a couple, they were getting ready for bed after a long day's work and the lady looked in the mirror. She said, I look in the mirror and I see an old lady. My face is all wrinkled, I'm sagging and bagging all over. And look at this flab on my arms. And her husband hadn't said a word. And she said, hey, tell me something positive to make me feel better about myself. He said, well, your eyesight's perfect. <laughs> that is not the way to encourage guys. But we do need some cheerleader. Ministry is, there's a lot of cheering that goes on and, and, and encouraging. And good fathers know how to cheer their kids on to victory. Spiritual fathers encourage people. But in verse 11, he says, but we, you know how we exhorted and then comforting. We comforted you. Comfort. It's the gentle empathy which comes and stays along somebody when they're going through a difficult time. And you know what? You have experiences in your life that can be used to comfort other people like somebody else might not be able to. I've been in situations where somebody's lost a loved one and, and of course we're there praying with them and trying to love on them and all, but somebody else who's walked in and lost the same loved one in their family, they can minister in a way that no one else can. Don Baker wrote a book entitled Restoring Broken Relationships. I want to read what he wrote. He said, a couple recently reminded me of my first encounter with them. They had just lost their firstborn in childbirth. 
I was asked by one of my church members to call on them. They were strangers to me at the time. We were alone in the hospital room. They recounted the story for me. They said, we were alone in the hospital room when our own pastor came in. He sat down and looked at us and said, what sin is God punishing you for? We were speechless with shock at his question. They said, at the moment you came in, Pastor Baker, you were unaware of the question our pastor had just asked us. You introduced yourself, sat down and said, I'm sorry you've lost your baby, but I do know how you feel. That made us a little angry until you added, we lost our little baby too. We immediately realized that you did know just how we felt. You went to the cemetery with us, conducted a graveside service for us, and then showed us your baby's grave. You helped us see beyond our sorrow until we were finally able to ask, when should we have another baby? And you said, as soon as the doctor says it's all right, After telling me that story I'd forgotten, the couple introduced me to the baby who was born after they lost their firstborn. Their child was now the wife of a pastoral staff member and a mother herself. And the couple again expressed their gratitude by saying, thank you for entering into our sorrow with us. That's what comfort is. There's no magical words. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. Sometimes you just stand there and cry with them. Sometimes you laugh with them. It's not necessarily, you know, I I, I never cease to be amazed. And and please forgive me for the way I'm going to say this. At some of the stupid things people say, trying to comfort people. They'd be better off just not speaking. Just love them. Stuff like, I'll give you an example. Somebody's just lost a baby. Well, don't worry, you can have another one. Don't ever say that. That doesn't help grief. And I know the mean well, but don't, don't say stuff like that. Just love them and pray for them and cry with them and, and don't say stupid stuff <laughs> to comfort people. You learn. You, you, you know, I, I sometimes, most, most every, if y'all been to any of my funerals, I've been doing so many lately. I say the same stuff all the time. But it's kind of like Christmas. There's only so much you can say. But one of the things I do say when people come, I say, thank you for being here today. Because it's not what you say. It's your presence here that means so much to the people who are grieving. So forgive me for being blunt, but y'all may remember professional basketball coach K.C. Letter K, letter C, Jones. He knew how to help his players when he needed it. He had a star forward named Kevin McHale Jones. Kevin McHale and Jones never congratulated a player after a great play. They make a great play. He never congratulated them. And McHale asked Coach Jones why he never complimented his men for outstanding performances. Here's what he said. Kevin, after you've made the winning basket, you've got 15,000 people cheering for you, television commentators coming rushing toward you, and everybody is giving you high fives. You don't need me then. You need me. You need a friend when nobody else is cheering. And we do. We do need to be friends for people who... There may not be anybody else cheering for them. 
It's one last thing a, a father does. And you'll see in verse 11 how we charged every one of you as a father does his own children that you should walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Charging comes from a solemn and earnest view of a situation. You want their highest good. Did your dad ever give you a charge <laughs> because of your, your highest good? Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Did he ever have to charge you? Tell you what to do? Now you know what I'm talking about. One of the things about ministry is we implore people to live for the Lord. To live a life, in verse 12, worthy of God. And the only way we can do that is keep pointing them to Christ who changes their life. It's a convicting passage for anybody in ministry. But you see, a, you get a little glimpse of his ministry and all that he, and you know, Paul had a tough ministry. I mean, good night. He got run out of town more than you can imagine and he was shipwrecked several times. He was beaten, left for dead. And yet he still carried on. In prison, writing many of these letters that are now in the New Testament, he still carrying on. So all of us have a ministry. Today in that Zoom call, Jerry mentioned, you know, as Baptists, we believe in the priesthood of the believer, which means that we have access to God through Jesus Christ, who's our high priest. We all believe, you know, you don't have to go confess to somebody and have somebody pray for you. But you know, right during this time of COVID, we also need to focus on the pastorship of every believer because we need to be reaching out to other people. And I'm so thankful many of you have been doing that. You've been calling your Sunday school class members or your friends and checking on them because they're not able to come and they're watching online and we haven't seen each other. And we really do need to continue reaching out to one another. So anytime you do those things, even a small thing, it, it means the world to people. The one thing about ministry, you don't always get to see the results. You're a painter, you're a plumber, you're a uh, framer, you work, you'll see what you've done. In ministry, you'll work, sometimes you don't get to see what you've done. But every now and then, God gives you a glimpse. I got a letter this last week from a young lady who was thanking us. She said, she said, thank you for saving my soul. I know what she meant. We didn't save her soul, but we led her to Christ, baptized her when she was 12. And today, she said, I want you to know that my husband and I serve the Lord. She's married. She has children. She said, two of my three children have come to Christ we're praying for the third one and when they get old enough to come to Christ. And she said, you probably don't remember me, but I was one of those kids who came to Southcrest from Buckner's. No family. And what a difference Jesus has made. So God gives us a little glimpse every now and then that we get to be part of things that we never know about. 
But ministry, ministry is what God's called us to do. And so you give it your best no matter where you are and, and God will use it in ways that you never dreamed possible. I want us to close tonight by praying for the Hills Community Church. Brian is here and, and uh, you know, they're, they're still meeting and, and having some people come. They baptized a few folks and they hadn't even had a worship service on a Sunday morning yet as the Hills because of um, the leadership of the state of California and, and because of COVID and a lot of other reasons. But uh, would you join with me, Brian? We're going to pray for the hills. We're going to pray for you. You got anything in specifically you want us to pray for that you can tell us in just a few minutes? <laughs> we got a lot of lost neighbors. A lot of lost neighbors. All right. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you've allowed us imperfect vessels to be part of your kingdom and part of your ministry. Help us to to fulfill that ministry that gives you glory and honor. We thank you that uh, Brian and Amy and their kids are here. Lord, it's especially a happy time for our family to see our family in. I pray for Brian as he is leading uh, a church plant in San Marcos and for the Hills Community Church. Thank you for those that have been saved and were baptized in a swimming pool. And thank you for the way that, that you're still assembling a group there that one day could be a lighthouse in that community. They already are a lighthouse. We pray for those lost neighbors that they might see the light of Jesus and realize he's the only hope that they have. We pray for strength and stamina and encouragement. I know it gets tiring and they're bound to be discouraged at times, but I thank you for their perseverance and their faithfulness. And I ask God that you let them see glimpses of what's happening in people's lives. Thank you for the ministries here. Thank you for those that are here tonight. I ask you to keep them safe. Lord, again, we pray for these that are so sick that you would heal them and uh, extend their days here on this earth. We love you, Lord. We're going to come Sunday expecting to gather and to honor and worship you and to be encouraged again from your word. Until that time, we pray you'll keep us safe and help us to be the light in this dark world that we're living in right now, to share people, share with people the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to watch more live streams or additional Bible studies, please go to southcrestlive.tv. We hope to see you again next week.